Hello and welcome back, or welcome to Thought Leaders, Future Shapers, a podcast brought to you by Committee for Ballarat, and we aim to inspire diverse thought leadership to unlock potential. I'm Michael Poulton, CEO for Committee for Ballarat, and am privileged to hear the amazing stories of leadership and innovation in our work with members every day of the week. This podcast is a chance to share those stories more broadly in a setting that allows you to listen when it suits you. Each episode will feature an inspiring thought leader future shaper, and I can't wait to share their stories with you. Proudly, our podcast partner, Runway Ballarat, are also passionate about the stories of leadership, innovation, hustle, and ingenuity through their work fostering business startups and promoting collaboration. Thought Leaders Future Shapers is recorded right here in Ballarat in Runway's podcast studio. Before we start, I acknowledge that we are recording today's podcast on the traditional lands of the Wathaurong people. I welcome all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who might be joining us today, and I pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Today's thought leader, future shaper, is the design and creative manager at Hames Paint, and soon to be graduate of LBWR Twenty, Tara Leaf. Tara. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For our listeners, Tara, let me just paint a picture of you. You arrived in Ballarat about six or seven years ago. You've worked for Mars when you first got here. You've done some work in studios and agencies, and then the state government through DELP before taking the role at Hames. Your work at Hames is with the marketing team. You lead the company's creative direction, including brand, strategy, image creation, and all things design. That's an interesting background. It is. It's a very colourful background. Can you remember when you first became interested in the whole world of design? Was there a moment? Was there a person? Tell us about those first uh, inspirations towards the world of design. Um, I've always been interested in art. I was always passionate about art right through high school, primary school, as long as I can remember. Uh, But I didn't really understand what it meant to have a career in it or what I would have to do. And I certainly didn't know what design was or encompassed. Uh, I had an art teacher that really backed me in high school um, and I hadn't applied for university or anything and one day she found me on the Oval with a flyer for a course and said, I really think you should give this a go. So I took it home to my parents and a few weeks later we were on a um, train to Melbourne to interview for a... um, It was called a folio preparation course. So it was for kids who were arts inclined who didn't know what to do with their skills really. Other than being an art teacher? Other than being an art teacher and I knew I didn't want that. <laughs> I don't know why, I just knew that wasn't where I was going to You'd end up. You'd sat in too many art classes. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I sh- packed up, moved to Melbourne and put all my energy into art for a year and somewhere in that year design came onto my radar and I figured out, I think, yes, I'm arts inclined but that sort of combination of... Um, Art and industry really interested me Um, and, yeah, so I went down the design route. Fantastic. So you're a country girl who moved to the city. Mm -hmm. You've been a city girl for a while and from the city you've moved to another city, a smaller city, called Ballarat. What was it like coming into a a new community and particularly in a profession that, that is not necessarily mainstream, so perhaps a little bit fringe? Uh, It was harder than I expected. Um, I am a country girl, but I always felt completely at home in the city. So the moment I got there, I just knew I'd made the right decision. I was surrounded by other kids that were interested in art, 
which wasn't the case when I was in high school. Um, and I really, really took the bull by the horns in that community. So when I got here, I guess I expected it to be a little more prominent in the community. Um, and it just wasn't. So I, I, in the initial years, I really struggled to find my people here. Um, and I put all sorts of effort into volunteering and um, putting myself out there. But eventually, Ballarat sort of came to me. I think when you are passionate about one area, those areas eventually organically seek you out. Um, and once I sat back and just relaxed about being in the town, a few more doors opened to me. I um, became affiliated with the gallery just by meeting people who work there. And that's been uh, huge for me in Ballarat. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about Ballarat Evolve because I know that's been a really important part of what you've been doing more recently on the board of, of Ballarat Evolve. There's probably not many of our listeners who'd be aware of what Ballarat Evolve do. So can you perhaps, yeah, tell us about uh, about that organisation specifically? Yeah, um, Ballarat Evolve, if you currently walk down Bridge Street Mall, you'll see us present in there. There's a few signs around saying Ballarat Evolve. And what we aim to do is, it was noticed, Ballarat Evolve has been around for about two years and it was noticed that the city centre of Ballarat was changing um, obviously retail spaces were changing, how people were interacting with the city was changing um, and Ballarat being a creative city, we really wanted to bring the creative out and bring it to the forefront. So um, we volunteers went around and mapped out empty storefronts, empty buildings, anything that looked like it could be useful. Uh, we sought out landlords and um, spoke to them and then went about interviewing creatives and people with creative endeavours to see if they'd be interested in filling those spaces. So we effectively act as a conduit between creative and space um, to try and, one, bring some different life into the city centre, so get shopfronts full of people creating stuff, not necessarily what you'd traditionally use the shopfront for. Also... Um, you know, office spaces that would potentially be empty, we can bring people into them. It brings the creatives out of their home studios mm. and into the streets so people get to know their work. Uh, it also brings life to the streets so people are buying coffee and shopping and, um, you know. So that, that's a really significant community impact, isn't it? You're bringing it to the forefront. You're bringing it to where the people are. Um, you're giving the creatives a chance to connect more broadly to the community. Absolutely. Yeah. It's sort of a double-edged sword because we're also helping the owners and landlords of spaces that um, have been impacted by the change in retail um, and also right now impacted by COVID. So you're, you're helping the creative community but you're also helping the business community. Sure, yeah. mm -hmm. Have you seen an impact in the diversity of the city because of the shift towards a greater focus around creativity and, and just the difference in the shop fronts? Um, we're starting to, I mean, it's been a, a slow transition, but I think it's really, I think Ballarat is really starting to realise that what they've got is something special in the creative community and bringing it out, letting people see it is a really positive thing. Mm. Yeah. Are you across much of the work that's been done by City with the the opening of the Bridge Mail and their plans for that? Yes, I am. How do you I feel would, about that? Um, optimistic. Uh, the Bridge Mall has been, a, I guess it depends how you look at it, but it's really been a success for Evolve. At the moment, we've got quite a few people in the Bridge Mall. Um, 
And when we talk to people about Ballarat changing, the bridge mall's often what is brought up. Um, so I'm not sure... In terms of what the plans are, I don't really have an opinion, but I feel that it's a an area of Ballarat that is prime for... Activation. Absolutely, mm. yeah, mm. for a, a mm. positive future, hopefully, yeah. Tara, I'm sure you've seen some great examples of this around the world. Um, Newcastle, I know, have sort of redefined themselves in this creative space. Um, is that where Ballarat's destined for or is there, is there more room for growth in this space and bringing the creativity into the city itself? I think so. Um, we do look to Newcastle quite often. They have had a lot of success in this space. They're a similar city size. They're a similar demographic. Uh, but we are slightly different. So we just down to the beachfront, do we? No. Yeah. Yeah. Pity about that. Yeah. <laughs> Ballarat is really its own beast. So we can look to – there's a few communities we look to for inspiration, but I think um, the beauty with Evolve, and it's all in the title, is that we are changing. So as the need changes, our commitment to what we're delivering changes as well, and it has changed um, from two years ago when we started uh, because we're sort of learning the town, what the town wants, how to um, – implement what we've learnt from the other areas into the town, but you have to look at Ballarat as its own beast. It really is. We'll talk more about a growing Ballarat shortly, um, but just before we leave the bridge mail and the opportunity that that pr- provides, um, you may or may not be aware, but the, the car parks, the, the supermarket car parks, there's plans there for that to be opened up into green space, reopen the Yarrawee Creek, Yarrawee Creek uh, bring it back to life, um, parkland right in the middle of the city. Um, Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, Have you had a look at that? How do you think that might perhaps um, activate and and really energise the artistic community? Um, I think Parkland's always going to energise a city. I I really don't think you can have too much of it. Um, And especially with Ballarat growing at the moment, the more Parkland we've got, the better. I think uh, those sort of meeting places in the city centre will always benefit any any sort of community, not just the creative community. Yeah. Got a sense there could be some really great natural staging areas for performance and absolutely um, both informal and formal and yeah it'd be a wonderful move, wouldn't it? City, get on board. Let's uh, <laughs> open up that car park. Tara, let's go to the leadership program. Um, many listeners will know the LBWR program. Um, they may well have been graduates themselves, but this year has been like no other. LBWR twenty is a, a bit unique in terms of the challenges you've had to go through. Um, you've lived and breathed the adaptive leadership challenge um, because the program really had to shift and change. Prior to COVID, um, you made a decision, I'm assuming, to apply for the program. So what was it about the program that attracted you uh, and what was it you were looking for? When I started to establish myself in Ballarat, the program was something that kept coming up in conversations. So a lot of people that I was meeting had done the program or were involved in the program at that time. Um and it just came onto my radar as a point of interest. I'd never been involved in anything like that. Any sort of leadership training I've done has been through my workplace uh, and not so community focused. Um, but it kept coming up. And as time went on, uh, I guess one of the things that really motivated me to apply was what I learned about myself was in Melbourne I had really... Uh, gathered an amazing group of friends and colleagues that were very similar to me. Um, And while we didn't come from the same cultural background or the same economic background, 
we're all very much interested in the same things. We loved music, culture, travel, hiking, you know, just all the same things. And when I got here, um, I just realised it was a really diverse community. And to be able to lead in a community, you really have to understand it. And I probably felt I was lacking in that. Um, You know, Ballarat seems to be a town that a lot of people stay in um, and love. And when you're a newbie in town, bringing your big ideas, you know, doesn't always... (laughs) Challenging sometimes. Yeah, doesn't always get off the ground the way you hoped. And I really wanted to figure out, I want to add something to this community. I really want to become a part of the positive stuff that's happening but I have to understand the community to be able to do that. So that really and motivated given me. the shift in the program this year, do you think that you have been able to understand community to that level? Have, has it achieved what you set out to in terms of that understanding of community? Um, and, you know, what are some of the other key learnings if, in fact, that may not have been it or may have been it? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it was a, it's a very different program to what I signed up for. Mm. I... Um, one of the things that really drew me in was the idea of you you were going out to areas of the community um, that you w- just wouldn't have access to, so the communi- the prison visit and the farm and that sort of thing. Uh, and when COVID first hit and it became apparent that maybe that wasn't going to happen, I felt quite disappointed. Mm. But as the course went on, I actually felt that it was all a part of the challenge. Um, we were operating in syndicate groups, so getting to know the syndicate, understanding how to work with other people um, via Zoom is even more More challenging. challenging. (laughs) So uh, as time went on, I just felt like it was all a part of the challenge to really get the most out of this course uh, without the personal contact. Mm. So. And look, um, please be open and and we didn't get it all right and I'm sure we got a lot wrong. it was a difficult piece for all of us to sort of shift that mindset from this is a really experiential-based learning model to how do you now provide that experience online. Um, particularly early days, there were some real challenges, wasn't there, in trying try to get the group together. What do you, what do you think um, – what, what was the, the fors and against, I suppose, or the positives and the, and, and the negatives about that uh, fact that we had to adapt really quickly to a different style of learning? Mm-hmm. The positives were – I think we did adapt and I think as time went on we got better at it. The negatives were in the early days, I just don't think any of us, course leaders or participants, understood how taxing uh, operating via Zoom was Mm. going to be Mm. and working in a professional job where I was just getting Zoomed to death throughout the day, then knocking off having some dinner and coming back onto Zoom for leadership Uh, more times than not I did it but you're just exhausted and at the end you feel like um, I'm not sure if I was even engaged. You know, you're kind of a little bit shut down because you've been staring at a screen all day. But I think as the course went on I became less hard on myself about having to be there and engaged the whole time. Um, I got involved in the Zooms and participated where I could uh, but I think everybody was really understanding of the fact that we were all operating. It's okay in, if you don't. Yeah, yeah operating yeah. in really weird circumstance. The group that I was in was great at being super understanding of everyone else's situation, that we were all working crazy hours and um, no one was demanding of anyone else's time. Mm. So. Interesting when you apply that to the working from home and I know that you, know, you guys from Hames, you, you packed up and you went home. 
um, if you apply those same principles to the work environment, what have you seen change in the way we work, the expectations we have of each other as workers or employees and employers? What have you seen change in that space in the eight months that we've been been through this? Um, I think initially in the first lockdown, everything was manic. We were just trying to get stuff done, trying to figure out Zoom. Um, and the future seemed very uncertain. So everyone was just throwing everything at it that they could. As time's gone on, we've become far more relaxed about it, far more resolved. Um, everybody understands that you can't physically sit at a computer for nine hours a day. And, um, you know, I had a staff member recently say to me they were worried that they weren't putting in enough and I was like, you're absolutely delivering. I couldn't ask any more in this circumstance. We've become more understanding, haven't we? Yeah. I think, I hope. Absolutely. I think so. I think so. Of my experiences, understanding of other people, but also understanding of my own limitations. So being able to say to people, I'm, I'm done for the day. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pick it up tomorrow because I can't do it today. Yeah. 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 Tara, let's, let's talk Hames. Uh, it's an iconic Ballarat brand, steeped in tradition, excellence and family run through their veins. Um, it is an organisation that's synonymous with Ballarat. What's it like working for an organisation like that? Um, it's always exciting and always changing. Um, when I moved to Ballarat, I came here on a contract, so I knew the job I was in wouldn't go forever. Uh, and I earmarked probably two or three companies I, I would consider working for, and Hames was one of those. Um, because for me, it meant it stood for everything that I wanted to be involved in. It's a family business. Um, they look after each other. It's doing exceptionally well in a really competitive market with mm. some real giants against them. Um, and and I haven't been let down by that. It's it's full of opportunity. Uh, it was three years ago when I started working for them, and it still is now. Um, there is endless opportunity there, and endless opportunities for personal growth there. Uh, I joined the team and um, my role quickly changed because, you know, the moment the company sees that you've got more in you, then they're more They'll than happy. Find a way. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of those, we've got more in you, and one of those, let's find the growth in Tara. Um, I reckon you're a bit sad to not be able to attend uh, a festival in Milan this yeah. year in April. Yes. Um, <laughs> The fact that the company was interested in sending you there is one thing, which is fantastic. I wouldn't mind you just exploring a bit about what a, what a conference for paint distributors, producers, manufacturers looks like. Where's, where's the connection there between paint and Milan in Italy? Yeah, well, it is actually a design festival. So my colleague, um, who is the colour and concept manager, Wendy Rennie, goes along every year. Uh, every second year, sorry, the company's represented and generally one of the Hames family or the Hames family go along. And what it is a um, basically a festival of high-end design world over. So the big guns in design go and show their furniture and their tiles and their whatever's going on out there. Um, and Hames goes over every second year and spends a week on the ground just taking it all in um, I've been told it's crazy manic and you are on for 13 hours a day and you 
walk. It's Milan. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Walk 20 kilometres and um, just take it all in. Um, and then when it's all over and done with, they bring all that knowledge home and work on the trend forecast for the next few years. So they ensure that we've got all of the products in the market we need that for all of the style that's coming out. So that's surface coatings, whether it be um, exterior renders or, you know, maybe metallics are big, whatever it is. Um, and also it flows into marketing. So it's figuring out what's going to be big in the marketing space, what colours we should be looking at, how we should be styling photographs. Um, and, yeah, just making sure that we are set up for the next couple of years in terms of style. Are we likely to be there in April 2021? Well, I mean, it's more up to Italy than us at this stage, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was incredibly yeah, yeah, incredibly disappointing for me because I was a first-timer and it was a huge honour to have the company request or f- ask if I'd be interested to go and I can't imagine anyone would ever say no. Um, and incredibly disappointing. When we could see what was going on in Italy, you were just thinking maybe... But as time went on, um, this wasn't gonna be. Yeah, yeah, but we will. I've just had a meeting today about what we're going to do in the future. Um, so we will just find other ways to get our inspiration in that space, I think, until who knows what's going to happen in that. Yeah. Hames is a great brand in Ballarat. Uh, we've mentioned that. You've talked about it as a, a player against some pretty big international brands. I'm just wondering, just talk to us briefly about the uniquenesses of the family values, the family business, and, and David Hames particularly in terms of his leadership of that, uh, of that family business. Yeah. Um, the thing that has really taken me aback about Hames is that when they say they're a family business, they legitimately are. I've worked for other family businesses where the family's not that visible uh, and they're certainly not accessible, whereas at Hames the family's on the floor with you. They're all accessible you know, all office doors are generally open. You can have a chat about anything at any time of the day. And I think at, you know, at this stage, that's an incredibly unusual situation. Um, they're also, at the moment, the only major Australian manu- manufactured and owned paint company, um, which puts us against huge, huge global companies. Um, but obviously they're doing something right when the public is responding. Mm. And what we have seen is the public has always responded to that. But now with the with COVID, it's even become even more important in that space to, for people to understand that there is a family behind this, that we are employing locals in Ballarat, um, that it's a Ballarat-centric company. I still have people say to me, um, why are you located in Ballarat? I'm like, well, because that's where the company's from. So um, it's incredibly important to the company that it's Ballarat-focused. It's an Australian company, but they're very proud of their Ballarat heritage as well. We talked before about brand image and uh, image creation. Um, Dulux have a big, fluffy, white, old English sheepdog that everyone's got to love. Ballarat has David Hames, and that's yeah. been incredibly successful <laughs> and most would remember his ads from going way back a generation ago. Mm-hmm, absolutely. <laughs> Let's focus on the creative arts, the creative side of our city. We, we call ourselves a creative city. Can you think of the opportun- specific opportunities that kind of sit in a, in a population of that size that, that perhaps isn't available to us right now as a, as a large regional city but not necessarily that large? So where are the opportunities that sit in the creative space for a city the size of 
200,000 plus? Um, I think the opportunity comes from, one, you can set up a business and get rolling with some fairly minimal overheads when we have um, support around right now, things like Ballarat Evolve. There's a lot of that sort of stuff in the Ballarat community and, and the creative community is super supportive of each other. So if you're out there and giving it a shot, most people will give you support, uh, which is probably different to a larger city where you can just sort of be absorbed into the crowd. I think here people get to know you, um, get to know your name and really believe in supporting locally. Um, I think our proximity to Melbourne is a huge benefit because while you're um, in Ballarat, it's so close to everything else that you can easily travel around um, and get a broader audience as well. Tara, we mentioned earlier that there was a, a connection that you found a little challenging when you first arrived in Ballarat. I think uh, one of the things about a livable city is a connected city. Can you paint a picture for us as to what that connected city looks like in your mind? Yeah. Um, to me, I mean, it was difficult for me to come into a Ballarat crowd and try and figure out how to make connections and I'm someone who's pretty confident in that space so I can easily turn up to an event alone and nurse a single glass of wine all night but talk to everyone in the room. Um, <laughs> Cheap um, But I'm just really aware that not everybody has that ability and um, that it can be incredibly nerve-wracking to, to really come and introduce yourself into a new crowd. And there is sometimes a mystique of um, exclusivity around creativity and it just I just don't believe in it. I just think anyone who wants to be involved should be involved. So part of my um, plans or in, want to be involved in the leadership program was about that, figuring out how to bring people out, give people confidence and give them the networks that they that already exist, I think. They're already here, but people don't necessarily know about them. And I think in the future that's going to become incredibly important, not just that there's niche networks and communities here, but there's a greater community here that can bring people out and support each other. I think that'll be really important in the future. And, and some of that's hidden. Uh, and I think, to my mind anyway, that uh, things like White Knight really puts the spotlight, pardon the pun, on that hidden side of perhaps that creative side of the city. Um, what were your thoughts about White Knight? What, what really inspired you about an event like White Knight in terms of how it can promote the creative side of, of our city? Well, it, gives, it just gives everybody a vehicle and it gives us a point in time to aim for because I think there is a lot of creativity here but people just sometimes aren't sure where to put it. Um, and having lived in bigger areas, that bigger towns that are super creative, things like, um, you know, I lived in Edinburgh for a short period and lived through the Edinburgh Festival, Edinburgh Festival and yeah. do all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And what people, you hear that said, but what people don't understand is, yes, there's big events, but under, underneath all those big events are these tiny shows, tiny mm. art mm. exhibitions, tiny dance performances. You know, it's eight people in a room. Um, it gives people the ability to say, well, I'm going to aim for that. I'm going to there's this event on and it's accessible to me, so I'm going to be part of it. Um, I think sometimes it can seem a little daunting, but when a community gets behind White Knight the way they did, something like White Knight the way they did, it really gives local creators and artists or anybody 
the ability to be involved. You yeah. might have already answered this question I'm thinking of, but I'll give you the chance to perhaps go a bit further with it. If there was a, and we think about Ballarat as a creative city, we think about Ballarat as a city of size. Is there one bit of advice? Is there one thing you'd love to see? Is there one vision that you'd have that would really uh, make a huge difference in, in this enabling of the creative city? Um, oh, I think it's about coming together. One of the things I noticed when I first moved here is because I love being, you know, my friends call me a joiner. <laughs> I like being involved in stuff is that there's there's a lot going on and sometimes it's competing with each other and I really think we have to start thinking wholly about what we want the creative scene to be in this um, city and I don't think one thing has to be at the cost of another. I think it's about really building that support for each other um, and the connections between all those areas. It's the sum of the parts. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Fantastic news that uh, the state government's investing in the National Photo Museum, and uh, which you know, in part around that the Photo Biennale, which is again this capacity to connect the whole city around photography, is um, is a great opportunity for us. Yeah, absolutely. Tara, we're coming towards the end of our questions, and there's a there's a few here that I just want to explore with you, and I'm interested in where you get your inspiration from. So. Quick questions, don't think too much about the answer. Do you journal? Uh, visual journals. Okay. Do you have a mentor? Mm, partially. Do you want to tell us about that? Um, well, I think my, I, my colleagues are huge mentors to me and other people that I've worked with in the past as well. Um, yeah, I think because I've got that combination of uh, marketing and arts, um, in that space, there's, I've got huge support and mentorship, yeah. Terrific. Where's the space that you go to when you want to be creative? I go outside. I'm a huge swimmer. I love the ocean um, and I love travel and getting out and about and walking and hiking. So I can almost guarantee every time I manage to get out, I'll come home and something creative's happened in my head, Yeah. Fantastic. We had a uh, guest on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, the, the editor of the, the Courier, and Eugene was talking about the mountains and his draw to the mountains and that same sort of sense. I, I feel most creative when I'm in the mountains and um, you can appreciate that. Absolutely. Tara, my final question and my inspiration for this comes from a guy called Mike Gervais who's a performance psychologist and is a, has a wonderful podcast called Finding Mastery. The question is this, you have to finish the sentence – it all comes down to getting involved. Great answer, Tara. It's consistent with what we've heard from you today. I really appreciate your time and the time we've spent together today. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy it. And uh, again, thanks very much for joining us today on Thought Leaders, Future Shapers. Thank you. And that was the last in this, our first series of Thought Leaders, Future Shapers. We've enjoyed bringing you the stories of our members and we hope you've enjoyed listening. Thank you to our broadcast partner, Runway Ballarat, and thank you to our technical producer, David Lynch from Lynchpin Media. Thank you to our guests. Your insights have been compelling and I've really enjoyed exploring these with you. And finally, to our listeners, thanks for sticking with us and we look forward to bringing you more in 2021 as we discuss the future of our region with our very own thought leaders and future shapers. Ooh.